Hello, thank you for listening to and watching you at Options. This episode, I have Sunny Singh from uh, Hate Five Six. Great conversation. We talk a lot of tech, uh, the technology behind how he operates Hate Five Six. Um, talk about his uh, his work in uh, in activism. Um, yeah, great conversation. Uh, go go check out Sunny. Uh, check out his website, Hate the Number Five than six.com this guy's patreon got everything there that you need to know about him go go sign up for his patreon you get early access to stuff it's great um go follow him on social media it's the same at hate the number five then six yeah great conversation uh go to the handsome slash shop buy some stuff there's a you had options shirt on there yeah thank you for listening think we're good awesome hey sonny how how are you today good um it's cold here in philadelphia so uh trying to stay inside as long as i can before i gotta go outside oh is it snowing no it's not snowing um it might i don't think it's gonna rain but it just looks really gloomy out (laughs) okay uh yeah where where are you based i'm in mobile alabama so it's either you know humid or raining or both Mm-hmm. Or yeah, yeah. <laughs> have Have you gotten a chance to spend time down in this area or New Orleans or? I was I was in Alabama once for a show. I was in a, I was at a show in Tennessee and I hopped on a um, what do they call it? Like a pond jumper or something? Puddle puddle jumper. Like, yeah, puddle jumper. I was I hopped on a puddle jumper um, for a show in Alabama somewhere. Uh, it was like a one one off thing. This is like two or three years, right? The thing is with this with this pandemic, my ability to tell time is just completely off. So I want to say it was two years ago. It was probably more like four. Okay. Oh man. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think most people know you as uh, eight uh, eight five six um, with uh, videos for you know hardcore and punk bands um, of of varying uh, you know genres underneath that kind of umbrella. Um, but I don't think. I don't think people, if they don't like dig into like, um, like your notes on your website or, or go watch, uh, interviews with you, they don't realize like, uh, you're so much more than just, um, doing hardcore and punk videos, like uh, a thing that drew me to you as your, uh, development, um, programming. Um, how long have you been a programmer? Um, I started programming in high school, so this must have been, I think the first programming class I took was in 2000, freshman year of high school. Uh, it was a QBasic class. Nice. Um, it was QBasic. And then the next year, 
they offered the next level up, which was C++. Hell yeah. So I think I was a sophomore. And then I don't think they offered anything else until my senior year, which was uh, Java. Okay. Um, so pretty much I've been programming since high school. I mean, even as a kid, I mean, as a kid, I was like taking apart my family computer and putting it back together. Right. Um, but in terms of actual software, it wasn't until like early 2000s when I got into high school and like, you know, I, I was in the high school programming team. So we competed in nice. um, uh, Canada. It was the, Amer- the AACL, American Computer Science League. Um, so there was like a written portion where we'd have to like solve, like reduce logic gates and solve, you know, computer science questions. And then there was also like a programming challenge as well. So I was really into that uh, in high school. And then when I went to college, um, mostly focused on math and physics and my programming took a backseat. Well, programming in the formal academic setting right. took a back. Um, but I still programmed for fun, mostly doing just like web development and random random projects here and there. Um, and then fast forward to grad school, I switched over and focused on computer science, um, uh, machine learning, AI, computational linguistics, um, and kind of just dove into that. And after grad school, worked for a couple of tech companies. And we can probably go into all that stuff. But yeah, I worked essentially in natural language processing, data science, machine learning, all that kind of stuff. While I did hit five, six on the side as a hobby. Um, and then in 2018, that there's there's kind of there's that that relationship inverted and uh hate five six became a full-time thing and the programming didn't necessarily become a part-time it kind of is part-time thing i mean i still do a lot of development but it's all for running the channel now so i kind of like i've kind of like merged everything into one under one roof (laughs) that's cool yeah uh i watched your video of you making that raspberry pi um like uh oh the grip yeah the grip as as wild yeah worked pretty well um so if anyone hasn't seen it um when i was doing live streams during the pandemic so during the pandemic obviously bands were not playing so we were doing live streams in a studio um closed off setting and i was typically doing two three four camera angles and um all by yourself i have a very all by myself yeah and i have a very specific way of how i like to cut my footage together i mean you could you could hire someone just press buttons and pick the angle they think is best but when i'm filming i'm thinking about what angle is active at that moment um so um the way i frame shots the way i can my camera it's i do it in a deliberate way because i know that when i'm going to be editing i'm going to be cutting to and from certain angles so when i was doing these live streams i had this idea or why i mean i could hire someone but it might be cooler it might be a fun challenge if i can while i'm filming also cut between the angles um and the first prototype I had was just a number pad, a numpad on my on my phone yeah. that was just you know mapped to the keystrokes on on the laptop, and it was just you know filming and also just pressing the buttons on on a, on a keypad, which is not um, that convenient in terms of operating a camera. So I had this idea of 3D printing a grip that I can then mount on my camera itself, and using a Raspberry Pi to program the keystrokes, um, and it was just sending that signal. Um, via an HTTP request uh, to the computer running the stream and is, is listening in for those requests That's and sick. Just reading in that, reading that, reading that in um, through a very simple API and then just mapping that to the keystrokes in OBS for cutting between the angles. So it was a fun experiment um, from from con- from conception to actual um, deployment was one week. I got it done in one week. Oh damn! Um, from, from having the idea and then three D printing it, um, programming the Raspberry Pi, soldering the wires, and just 
having it fully tested Damn. was a week turnaround. So I, I got a lot of shit done during a uh, pandemic in terms of just uh, exploring technical problems and trying to come up with a good solution for yeah. them. Do you, do you have your own 3D printer? I do. I, yeah, I'll probably, you'll probably see it right back here. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. Red Sea, yeah. I haven't used it in a while. Um, the, the bed is completely... Uh, not level anywhere. I, I I need to get one of those auto auto leveling um, devices, but yeah, haven't been printing much lately. Mm. Have a uh, have you just printed anything like silly? I don't know, like figurines or something. I did. I mean, for just testing the three D printer, I printed some. Just like I think I printed like a little a little dog or something like that. Mm. But yeah, I was mo- I was mostly printing it for. Um, camera mounts like either like a, like, like the grip or um probably can't see it's out of frame but I, I i manufactured this aerial sky cam yeah um probably seven years ago i took a class in um plasma cutting and <laughs> so the, when i say sky cam i mean like literally what the nfl uses for getting overhead shots so okay you, you you have two points suspended in the air yeah. by a cable i think the nfl ones it's four points it's a little bit more complicated but um essentially two points suspended um a cable suspended between two points and then this device that has a motor on it um can move along that cable um laterally in both directions and then mounted underneath is a camera on a gimbal that can also you know rotate tilt so you get the full um 360 coverage so i started developing that in 2014 i think uh, i took a class in cnc plasma cutting and i bought like air grade <laughs> aluminum and i see i see and see plasma cut this um chassis um, and then at the time I programmed a Xbox remote control, uh, re- uh, Xbox controller to actually control the, uh, the whole, the whole system, but I ended up blowing the motor on that and I n- did not get around to finishing it for a long time. I just sat on my wall as a, um, as like a, as an art piece. Okay. And then again, during the pandemic, I was sitting there staring at it. I was like, you know what? I got nothing to do. Let me just fucking finish this. So, uh, that's the reason I bought it. 3D printer because I needed to manufacture a couple uh, custom shaped uh, brackets for the motor mount. Okay. Um, and then I, 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 I chucked the Xbox remote and I bought like an actual radio, uh, like an RC um, like controller, one of those massive ones that you'd see someone operating like a yeah, with the uh, big, RC. the huge antenna. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and and it basically I, I, per, I, I got, I got that and a receiver and I programmed that to control, control that. And I was able to actually, um, the, I, for, for the gimbal that I use for my camera is just a, a, a DJI Ronin. If you're, if you're a filmmaker, pretty much everyone has heard of the Ronin. It's mm-hmm. like the standard um, gimbal, but they actually have a essentially a communication port in there. I don't know why they have it, but I was able to, someone figured out that you can actually wire that um, in a way that you can send RC signals to it. So I'm actually able oh, to shit. control the panning and tilting of the, the, um, the gimbal remotely from from the remote so essentially when i'm when i'm i have i haven't technically used it. i used it in a field test but um you mount the ronin under on the underside of this carriage and then the remote control can, controls the carriage moving laterally along the cable and then i can also use the remote to control the panning and tilting mm-hmm. um and i guess panning tilt a yaw i don't know I, I always forget which one's which of of the gimbal so yeah it's... long story short i got that done <laughs> sick that was uh, fun yeah the uh yeah it's funny i was just thinking like usually when people are bored or they're like i want to pick up something new they're like oh 
I'll start baking or something, but you're like, I'm going to go to a CNC plasma cutting course. Yeah. Well, it was, it was more, it was more so I have this unfinished project that's like haunting me because I okay. see it on my wall and I haven't, I haven't finished it. Okay. Um, so it was, it was, yeah. I mean, yes, I do shit like that when I'm bored. I'm like, let me, let me look, tackle a, a fun problem. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think that's, I think the, it's because like, I'm so invested in what I'm doing with mm. the channel that I'm always looking for yeah. ways of streamlining um, the process and, and saving time. Because the only reason, the only one of the only reasons I'm able to do the channel at this level of like consistency and throughput is because I have so much automation built into it um, with how content gets deployed, how I you know structure my my time management with just terms of editing and, and scheduling. Right. Um, a lot of that is just driven by tools that I coded up. Um, and that really allows me to minimize, um, wasted time. So, um, again, like the, the, the grip was a fun project, but again, that like minimized the need for me to bring in someone and train them how to, how to cut it. Um, and it also just was a, it was a very ergonomic solution to a clunky problem that I had. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I'll see you post every once in a while, uh, pictures of you like uploading your, your files. So that's all how you just plug in your, I don't know how that works. You just plug in your, uh, your, uploading uh, what files like video files, like to, to the actual like website or what? I don't know. Maybe you're just putting them. I don't know. Putting them, you're moving them somewhere. Like you weren't uploading to files to the website, but like uploading, like, I guess just like dumping all your files of your film files. I'm trying to think what that would have been. So, I, I have a local server in my apartment. It's a, it's yeah. a, it's a raid array, uh, Freenas array that I built. Um, so I'm constantly moving data off there and I installed a uh, 10 gigabit ethernet. So I actually, I actually edit 4k directly off the server and I don't have to have the footage locally on my machine. So that saves me so much time. Right. So I come home from a show. I just dump the footage on the, on the raid and I oh, okay. edit directly off of it rather than making, you know, clearing space on the laptop or the desktop. I don't have to do that. I can just edit off off of the uh, off the server damn um but essentially as su- now we're getting to the actual content deployment i don't know if this is the direction you want to go in, that, but that, like, yeah man all right so the um as soon as i have a video done um uh so all of my videos live on both vimeo and youtube mm. um mostly because when i first built the site in 2008 vimeo was the optimal solution i i, I still yeah. think vimeo's compression algorithm is better than YouTube in terms of how uh, it renders like shadows and things like that, but teach their own. Anyway, <laughs> I, when I built the site, Vimeo had a better API. So a lot of the site relies on Vimeo's backend to okay. run. Um, but the process is video gets edited. Uh, I export it. I upload that video or that set of videos to Vimeo. It's a private, it's a private video at that point. Um, Vimeo gives me a unique ID for that video file. And that's what is referenced. Like the entire backend of the site relies on that unique ID. Um, and then I have a whole content scheduling system that I built. Um, it's kind of like a, it's a hot, it's a, it's a, it's a queue. It's a, it's a hybrid queue. It's both a standard FIFO, uh, first in first out queue, meaning like, um, you know, if, 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 I don't know how technically uh, inclined your listeners are. I don't know. 
yeah, you know, you yeah, you put the first thing in, and that's going to be the first thing that comes out, and it's a yeah, stack. If you, yeah. If you, if you, if you if you think about it like a line in a restaurant, like people yeah. line up and the first person in is the first person who's going to get served by the person at the register. Right. So that's a FIFO queue. A life, a LIFO um, is a last in first out, meaning the last, the last entry in the queue is the first one to get served. Mm-hmm. So um, one way to do content distribution is just a FIFO queue, meaning the oldest video in the queue is what gets uploaded next. So you can just like burn through that. Um, I did that for a while. Um, and well, let me back up. I, I could technically just upload all of my content today right. and just right. and maintain no queue. But the only reason, I mean, we, we, uh, in order to grow a channel, you need to have like a consistent upload schedule. You need to have viewers come back for more. Right. Um, so one of the reasons why I just don't do it is because I, I want people to come back because if the video they want isn't coming out today, they're going to come back tomorrow to see if it's if it's yeah. tomorrow. Um, so it, it drives engagement. And it, again, it's, it's just, it's like food for these for these algorithms to make sure that you're relevant. Yeah. Uh, and the, and the other part of it is just preventing oversaturation. Cause if I post 20 videos in one day, no one's going right. to watch any of it. Yeah. And the whole purpose of the channel is to drive as much traffic, as much eyes, ears, and attention to a specific band or to a specific video that I, that I produced. Right. Um, so that's why it's like a slow leak. Like, you know, I, I film a lot, but I'm only leaking two or three videos a day. Yeah. So you could just do, you know, first in first out. Um, and just go through it that way. But then I had the idea a couple of years ago, why don't I like sort of, why don't I take advantage of people's, um, people's impatience or excitement <laughs> for a video in right. the sense that, um, you know, you know, you know, I, it could just be a first and first out and people would be like kind of annoyed because the video that I shot yesterday is going to, it's got to wait. Right. Um, the other solution is that I pick the I pick the scheduling, I pick the order, and I, I, I figured, why should I do that? But th- again, that's more work for me to do to figure out, okay, Friday, this video will come out, Saturday, this one. Like I don't have the time to do that, nor will I actually have, nor can I make everyone happy by doing right. that sort of release schedule. Uh, so I had this idea, why don't I why don't I um, like exploit people's impatience and create a voting system right. so that um, the viewers can actually vote on what comes out when mm-hmm. and the actual genesis of that was i created a notification system because people are always asking me hey can you let me know when you post this video i'm like i'm not going to just send out random messages <laughs> to people like, I, <laughs> hey, I bro. can't keep track of yeah. i can't keep track of when john wants video x and when bill wants video y like, i don't have yeah. the cap like capacity to do that so it started out as a notification system um people could enter in their email address uh check off which videos they want to be notified for as soon as it get as soon as it gets uploaded there was a script that would use a mail server to email them that the video went up. So then I had this idea, well, why don't, why don't I use the subscription numbers for a video as a proxy for interest or like a vote, right? Yeah. Um, and that was how I built the voting system was around that system of just notifying people that a video was posted. So all that to say is that the, the content queue is both like, it's a priority queue, meaning that you know, it's not, videos aren't getting served first in, first out. They're getting served by a priority. And that priority is determined by the community of people who are voting on what they think is most important to be released next. Mm-hmm. Um, I call it a hybrid queue because I st- my, my biggest concern with the queue is that like a newer band that doesn't have as many like fans or listeners isn't going to like accrue enough votes to right. come out and it'll constantly be pushed to the bottom. So to combat that, I added this like mechanism that I call mana. Like gamers know what like a mana, like yeah. mana is like how you accrue like health or whatever. Um, 
So I have a mana system that essentially awards, um, it accrues like artificial votes based off of how long the video has been sitting in the queue. Oh, okay. Um, so right now it's just like a linear, like for every X number of days, it accrues Y number of, of votes. So it's, it's a, it's a, kind of like a hybrid queue because the longer a video sits in the queue, it does accrue more votes. So they're kind of like two competing forces, like the people are voting for videos, but then there's also the force of this mana accruing. Like time, yeah. Ideally should sort of like maybe not be fully equal forces, but you know, it does help combat the problem of a video like rotting away in the queue. Right. Um yeah. I do have a I do have a couple like I haven't fully fleshed it out yet, but I'm trying to modify the mana algorithm so that it's not just how long the video is in the queue, but I also want to factor in like how many videos of the band currently exist on the mm. channel. If it's a band that's never appeared on the channel, they should get more more, more mana. Just to you know, right? The other um, another factor is um, the time since the last release of that band. So, for example, like I'll film a bit. I'll, I'll go on tour with. Uh, year of the knife for example and i'll film them five days in a row their fans are just gonna upvote all five videos at the same time yeah. right so you run into the problem well i also don't want five year of the knife videos coming out in succession right so the um part of the part of this like new mana uh algorithm that I'm, that I'm developing is like not maybe not penalizing but taking into consideration time since the last release of that band mm-hmm. um another another element is um what percentage of the show has already been uploaded. So again, if I'm filming like a show mm. and the headline, the headliners are get are the ones that get posted first, but the, the openers kind of like sit, sit unreleased. Yeah. Um, I, as, as more of a show gets posted, I want to upvote the, the remaining bands. Like no band gets left behind, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, kind of that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's kind of how the content like scheduling works. This is, yeah, I feel like I'm, this is like a huge information dump. (laughs) It's all good, man. (laughs) I like it. So once, once a video gets like, again, I will only post about two or three videos a day. And so every more, every more, I I technically don't know what comes out every day. Like I'll get Mm. an email email notification from the server saying, um, as of this morning, these are, these are the top three videos that have the most votes. These are going to come out at 11 AM, uh, 4 PM and 9 PM. Okay. Um, so again, that, that, that changes by the, like the, the voting, totals update every every five minutes so i i i could take a peek but i I technically don't know until the morning of um do you know who posted at 11 today uh so i will override the system every now and then if a band has like a if a band has like a special release that they want to coincide with something um i had a special release that it was a far side video that i digitized from 1991 no that was 90 that was 90 i think there's a far side set, and I, I really just want to get that. I like far side is one of my favorite bands. Okay. So, uh, every now and then, I will override the voting system and say, "All right, this video, this video is going to come out on Friday or Thursday at noon." Yeah. So yeah, right when we started the call, far side dropped. So what nice. happened? That would have been a good time to actually go through. So what happened at noon is the alert, an alert went off on the server saying, "Okay, um, this video is scheduled for 12 p.m. It is now 12 p.m." So what happens is the server uses the Vimeo API to um, make that video public because mm. once i upload a video once i upload a finished video on vimeo it's private by default so i use the api to automatically um make it public and then i use a twitter and facebook api to automatically alert people hey this video is now 
um, live on HeFi6, HeFi6.com, uh, which pulls from Vimeo. Um, so it automatically sends out sends out those alerts. And then I have a server here in my apartment that it detects that a, and this is something that I, I could optimize. I haven't done it yet. Um, it detects that a new video has been released. It downloads that source file from Vimeo um, and it, it gets the metadata, which is like the, it gets the metadata from the website, which is like the band, the date, the venue, city and state. Mm-hmm. Um, it then uses the YouTube API to upload that file to YouTube using that metadata. Oh, okay. And then it, it then issues a second alert to people saying, hey, it's now also on YouTube. Uh, so there is, a, it's, it's, it's a little, it's not, um, it's a little asynchronous. Okay. Um, because in an ideal world, it would go live on Vimeo and YouTube identically like at the same time. Yeah. Instantly. But it's because I built the site around Vimeo that it has to go on Vimeo first. And because, again, Vimeo gives me that unique ID. Yeah. Um, so that's why I have to do it. So at some point, I'm going to redevelop the site so that it uploads to both simultaneously and I don't have to do it. Because right now, like, it'll go up on Vimeo or, you know, HeFi 6. And then it'll take a couple minutes for it to get downloaded and uploaded to YouTube. And then it takes another couple minutes for actually YouTube to process it and make it live. So the YouTube version of that Farside video that just went up probably isn't live. Actually, it might be, now that it's like 1230, it probably is live on YouTube by now. Okay. So it's a little, 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 um, that's like a, for me, a little bit of a, an annoyance that I need, need to, need to work on. Um, but again, that's, that's all automatic. So I don't yeah. have to deal with like alerting people or besides that initial upload to Vimeo, I don't have to deal with the uploading. I don't have to deal with nice. tagging or manually adding in titles and descriptions. The only manual thing that I do is I have to create a, a video clip, like a 60 second clip is, um, and that's what I post on Instagram. Okay. Um, so, and that is, that is also slightly automatic um, in the sense that once, like I said, I have a local server here that downloads the file off Vimeo uploads that to uh, YouTube. Yeah. That that server is technically a backup of my footage because it has the the finished files of of everything that's on the, mm-hmm. on the site. Um, so what I did was I built a uh, a clip extraction engine. So there's there's an app on the site. If you're a Patreon subscriber, you have access to this. So you can take any video, you can you can paste in the the link to any 856 video, um, enter in the start time and then enter in the duration and then the local server I have a cron job that is con- oh, no, it's yeah it's it's not a cron- it's a it's a it's listening for web web web, web requests through an mm. API that I built. It's listening to see has anyone issued a request for a clip. Uh, if so, it takes that source file and then it runs essentially takes the start time and the duration, extracts that clip, uploads that clip to to Google Drive, and then sends a download link to the person who requested that clip so okay i'm the biggest user of this this clip extractor because i use it every day to, to right. automatically create a clip um because otherwise i have to open my editor yeah. and like hone in on okay at 154 i want to get this 10 second clip i just use the clip extractor right i say i enter in the timestamps and then within a couple minutes it, it sends me the download link and then i download that and post that on on instagram um yeah. So again, that was another fun project of just all right. I need to I need an efficient way of creating clips. Yeah. Because um, also, if I'm not if I'm not home, right? If I'm on the road and I need to create a clip, I don't I'm, I don't have access to my my RAID. I mean, I I could set it up so I do. Yeah. But I'd rather just have a server that's listening for requests and automatically creates those clips and just sends me an email with the download link. So um, I use that every day. That's another like Damn. feature that um, 
I thought more people would, because right now people just take a screen recording if they want to post like a funny stage dive or whatever. They just screen yeah. record it and they post it. And it looks like shit because it's like a screen recording of a super compressed video that's right. on Vimeo. And I'm telling people like, if you're a member of channel and Patreon, you <laughs> Make can just your own use clips. the clip extractor. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're literally getting it from the second level from the source. So it's, I think it looks, I think it looks cleaner, but getting people to actually use it is, it's a hard, it's the hard Damn, problem. Dude. Yeah. It's, I like you describing your, uh, all your automation processes. It's a, yeah. So that was, that was a long, <laughs> that was a very long extension, but that's, that's how it all works. Uh, from like, from editing to actually deployment. Mm. Uh, that's like the full life cycle of the video. In, in 10 years, are we going to have sunny AI and you're not going to even be filming? So I, I created this thing that, um, I don't know if you saw it. I, I, I made this automatic editor. Um, I posted a video of a side-by-side. I said, here's two versions of a video. One of them was edited by me. One was edited by this algorithm. And all the algorithm <laughs> is doing is it's automatic. It's kind of like the grip, right? It's just yeah. automatically, well, the grip is you know manually controlled and I'm deciding yeah. which button to press. But the algorithm was randomly picking, okay, choose camera one, camera two, camera four, oh, okay. back to camera one. So I posted two clips of both and asked people, hey, can you tell which one's which? And people were actually split. People couldn't tell which one was mine and which one was the algorithm, which I thought was, I took a little offense to that. <laughs> I, I think... I think my edits are a little creative. Like they, I, I try to cut on beat with the music and like I'm picking interesting angles. Right. And like the automatic one, it's, it's, it's essentially just rolling a dice and, yeah. and, and, and producing an, producing an edit. But then again, if you have like a chimp typing away at a, at a, at a typewriter, yeah. if you give that chimp an infinite amount of time, it's eventually right. going to produce Shakespeare, right? Like right. that's, you know, so at some point, every now and then a random editor is going to produce something that looks kind of decent. Yeah. Um, so people think I actually use that. I, I don't, the only time I use that is, um, so on my Patreon, I give my Patreon subscribers like early access to, to videos before they go up on, on YouTube. Um, so I will sometimes, if I, if I'm, if I'm in like a time crunch, I'll just use the automatic editor to automatically create a multi-cam edit. If I'm doing like a four cam, cam four camera angle, uh, shoot, I'll use the editor to just create like an instant, like four camera angle cut. I upload that for early access on Patreon. And then when I have time to actually sit down and do the, like the cleaned up version, then I'll like sit that, sit down and do that manually and then mm-hmm. give that to my patron. So I do use the automatic editor for like a super, very super rough draft. Yeah. Um, I've been thinking about ways of making it smarter. And the first thing I've been working on is like a beat detector. So analyzing the actual acoustic signal to figure out like, Okay, here's the tempo of the music because right now it's just randomly cutting when it it's just rolling a dice and cutting every one second, one point five seconds, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, if I can detect the beat, that right there solves the problem of actually having it having the cuts follow like a certain cadence and a certain rhythm. Um, so I've been working on like a beat detector, and then the other component is like how do you determine which angle is the best angle to cut to? That's like a computer vision problem, and I haven't fully solved that one yet. Um, <laughs> but I've been thinking about ways of, of, of doing that. Like, um, I tend to cut my angles a lot when I'm panning. So I, I do this like whip pan a lot. You'll, yeah, yeah. you'll see it. You'll see it. And in, in if you, if you look for it, you'll see it. Like I'll be like the, like on a multicam video, like I'll, the one shot, the current shot will be focused on the drummer and then it'll quickly cut to like a crowd shot yeah. and it's almost seamless it's a seamless cut because when i'm filming it like i said earlier when i'm filming i'm thinking about how i'm editing i'll quickly pan from like the drummer to the crowd 
So I will stay on the drum cam, the dedicated drum cam, while also filming the drummer. Oh, I see. At, yeah. the, at the moment where I pan from the drummer is when I do that cut so that the viewer can't really tell what just happened. All they can tell is that they were watching the drummer and very seamlessly they are now at the, at the, at the crowd. So you'll see that a lot where I'm cutting. I'm using that motion blur of mm-hmm. panning to actually mask the fact that I'm cutting between a shot on this side to a shot on the other side of the stage. Um, so that's something that people, if you watch enough Hate My Six videos, you'll see. So anyway, I, I was working on um, an algorithm to, to, to detect the blurriness of an image. So a video is essentially just a sequence of still still images, right? Yeah. So I was working on, like like I said, with the, the beat detector trying to find the best time to, to, to cut acoustically. Um, I was using computer vision to detect, like, if there's a lot of motion blur in this image, that's probably the point where I'm panning the camera really quickly. So I was using that to find like a like a cut point visually. Like, okay, this the the motion blur of this image has reached a maximum. If you think about like a time like a like a like a time series mm-hmm. of images, the the motion blur peaks at the point where I'm panning. So okay. that's kind of like a point where I could where I could cut. And then it becomes like an alignment problem. Like you have this uh, these points in time visually where, where you can cut and these uh, points in time acoustically where you want to cut mm. and you want to you know what ha- the, the best time to cut is when there's like like the motion blur lines up with the beat and I, I tend to do that like I tend to pan like during a drummer build up like he's like hitting the the four toms whatever yeah. and right when the drummer's about to hit the cymbals if that's when I that's when I pan the yeah. camera you'll see that a lot too so theoretically if I'm doing this beat detector and this like motion blur detector they should line up every so often um and then the algorithm would be, okay, that's the time to cut the angle. So I have ideas about how to make an automatic editor. I haven't done it yet. Uh, but maybe, one, so to answer your question, one day, maybe uh, I won't have to do anything. <laughs> I'll, just be like, I'll set the cameras up, I'll film it, and then like I can go home and have the editor automatically edit it and then automatically get uploaded. And, there you and go. You can, you, I'm on, you can just walk around. To, yeah, you I just can t- I can take more cl- I can take more classes in CNC. Plus there you go, that. man. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, pipe fitting, welding, something. I don't know. Something, uh, yeah. yeah. You can just when well when you get to that point, you just walk around with a fake headset and act like you're screaming at people. Like exactly, cut the camera down. <laughs> cut the camera down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but did want to talk about um, you uh, were you live streaming before uh, like the pandemic? With I know Code Orange was the big, the big. Yeah, uh, I was, I was, I was anti live streaming for a while. Okay, time. I, yeah. I was, I was always like, why the fuck am I going to spend? Can I, I don't know if I can curse on this podcast, but I was hey like, man, let it fly. I, I was like, why, why am I going to spend time and money and resources live streaming a show when yeah. I could spend that time, money, resources in making the archival footage just better? Yeah. Plus, also, I want people to go to the show. I don't, want, I don't want people to have an excuse to not go to the show. It's true, right? Yeah. Like I already do get some pushback from bands being like, oh, we don't want you filming because no one's going to come to the show. It's like, mm. yeah. All right. As much as I love videos, a video should never replace the experience of being right. at a live show. So if someone's willing to wait for a video, like short of someone being, you know, having like a physical disability, not being able to go or someone right. like geographically not being able to like travel. Like if you're in the same city as a show and you're content with waiting for a video, you are never going to go to the show to be with. Like, right. That's how I look at it. Yeah. So yeah, I was, I never wanted to do live streams and then the pandemic kind of like forced me to do it because obviously we, we needed a solution. Um, the code orange thing was like a super last minute, um, production because we had planned on shooting their, that show as a regular 
video that we uploaded later. And then mm. the pandemic, the, the lockdown happened that week and the band called me up and we were like, what should we do? And they said, should we try live streaming it? And I said, I've never done it. We can figure it out. So we, we, we pulled it off in like 48 hours. Um, nice. We had like, a, we had like a team of people who were, you know, helpful, obviously. So it wasn't just like a one, one man band, but um, we, I, I want to, I, I say this every time it comes up, but I will go to my grave saying that Code Orange stream was the first COVID induced live stream of a band performing. Um, I don't think anyone else had done a live stream that week. That was again, the week that everything shut down in the US. Okay. So that was like, um, so that was like March, was March whatever, March, March 14th 20, or something. Yeah. Yeah. It was literally yeah, March, I think that, that week, uh, 2020. Um, and that Twitch stream had like 14, 15,000 concurrent viewers, which is kind of crazy. Damn. And it wasn't just a standard stream. I mean, they had, Code Orange had planned to do a whole, um, uh, uh, Shade is their like visual guy. He does a lot of 3D animation. He had planned this whole 3D animation to be projected behind them during mm. their tour. And they didn't want that to go to waste. So we right. thought we had this idea. Well, why don't we cut that into the live stream as well? So the live stream was a mix of obviously the, the, the cameras are rolling, but we had someone who was blending in the, the 3d um, renderings he created. And it, it looks, if, you, if people haven't seen it, you should go, go watch it. It's it's on YouTube. Um, Cause you'll have moments where the band is on stage. It's a nice wide shot, but then you have this like 3d like, demon or whatever they have they have all these like, characters in their in their yeah. like, universe of is know, it like a orange lore. augmented reality looking type of yeah it's, it was kind of like an augmented reality just yeah. like kind of like you know manifesting into the image and kind of fading out but then at moments the, the 3d image would like occupy the full like opacity of the mm-hmm. of the of the image so it was it was a cool blending of both um like the live performance with also just what they had planned to do visually for their for their tour um but yeah, ever since that, I've been all in on, on live streaming because, right. again, we were forced to do it. And I, I'd done maybe two dozen at least live streams of bands yeah. during the lockdown. Um, almost all of them were live, live. Very few are pre-recorded and aired. A lot of it is just like you're watching this in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think a lot of bands were doing that. Uh, a lot of like a lot of bigger bands were a lot of people were, were, were selling live streams, but they were actually pre-recorded and mo- the viewers don't care. Right. Right. But from a technical perspective, I think that's a very important distinction. <laughs> Pulling that off live is very hard to do. Right. Uh, both for the band, but also technical challenges as well. So there were not a lot of other people doing actual real-time live streams. Um, so I take pride. I mean, I definitely fucked up a bunch of them. Um, audio going out of sync or a camera going yeah. offline like shit happens but that's part of it and like, yeah. i like that technical challenge so um i'm proud of the fact that the vast majority of the ones that i did were actually like real time and live yeah mm. um yeah that kind of <clears throat> leads into uh we want to talk about your your activism and um you being at uh, demonstrations and live streaming there um was what kind of I guess, was it, um, what drove you to do that? Just kind of like wanting to record what was happening and like, yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been filming protests and social movements since 2011. Like people think it's a new thing, but I've been right. doing this since a lot. I mean, not live streaming, it, but just documenting it for a very long time. Yeah. Um, and the reason for that is I'm of the mindset that hardcore and punk is a very political 
statement and it's an opportunity yeah. to talk about these issues. Some people disagree with that, but like, fuck you. Like, <laughs> for me, it's you don't have you don't have to agree with the right. political takes that I put out there. But like, to say it doesn't belong, this is this is the entire point of what this community was was built on. Um, so during the pandemic, I mean, I that is to say, like, I always or I try to use the platform as much as possible to shine a light on issues and topics that I think are um, important and that need to be signal boosted because um, essentially at the end of the day, the channel is me pointing my camera at shit that I think is interesting yeah. and trying to get as many eyes and ears on it and like maximizing, like maximizing the amount of like attention I can give to whatever it is I'm pointing at, whether it's a band playing a show or someone giving a speech at a rally. Like my objective is film, film thing, create content, maximize traffic to content, wash, rinse, repeat. Mm-hmm. So um, during like the George Floyd uprisings and everything that happened with, with the BLM movement, um, that was just a natural continuation of what I had already been doing. And right. obviously shows weren't happening. So I had more time to go out there and do it um, and, you know, avail myself to these organizations and groups that I want to, want to help. So I like, you know, give them my time and my resources to help them signal boost um, what's going on. Um, everything from, you know, um, the housing crisis. I mean, there's a huge, I mean, the housing crisis is everywhere, but in Philly there was, um, you know, houseless encampments and there was a movement to, you know, fight for um, equitable and fair housing for low-income mm-hmm. families. I was live streaming a lot of that. Uh, I've been doing a lot of live streams for uh, political prisoners like Mumia Abu-Jamal, who's a um, uh, political prisoner from Philadelphia who was a journalist uh, framed for killing a cop in 81. But there's a lot of evidence that shows he is both um, uh, factually innocent and legally not guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's been in jail for 40 years this July because of his his uh, his activism as a, as a Black Panther, as a youth. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing a lot of live streams um, on the ground, um, just raising awareness about his case. Um, and I actually invested in um, a live streaming um signal bonding unit which is what the which i remember seeing like someone from nbc like walking around with it i was like oh, let me, what is that thing uh so it's 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 what the broadcast companies or broadcast networks use to next it's short of satellite this is what they use to send their signals out to their control room okay um and the way that it works is you send it's a it's a I have it over there um you want me to grab it i can grab it it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a, it's a box yeah. that takes in an hdmi signal um, and it's an it's an encoder, so it encodes a signal, and then you plug into um, you plug into um, uh, cell modems like an AT and T and Verizon modem. Okay. Um, and the the service will then because um, rather than relying on one cell signal to, yeah. to send your send the content out, it splits it up into two, sends it out to their server, um, and then they recombine that footage, and then um, you can then distribute that out to like. YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, wherever, whatever you want. So mm-hmm. that's a service that I pay for um, to just encode the signal and broadcast it out. But it's what like broadcast companies use to uh, efficiently send their shit out. So um, it's pretty pricey. But again, like I do enough of these um, live streams on the ground that it makes sense to do it. Because again, um, I'm trying to create not just a lot of content, but I also want content that's compelling. I want it to mm. look and sound good. Um, so that's why I use like high end cameras, high end lenses. Cause I, the way that I think about it is it's similar to how I think about filming a band. Um, if someone's going to take the time to like use really good gear to shoot a band, 
you as the viewer who's scrolling through social media, you're going to, you're going to stop and be like, huh, I should probably look at this because this is the production quality is pretty high. It's right. not just self, it's not just a self pointed at this band just by nature of the production value. People are more likely to, to sit down and, and give it a shot. Right. Um, I take that same mentality with, with filming these, these, these protests. I want it to look cinematic. I want it to look like a certain way so that if someone's just scrolling through Facebook and they see this live feed that looks like a fucking movie, they're going right. to be like, what, what the hell's going on? So that's, it's a very deliberate decision on my part. Um, because again, when people are when people are scrolling through social media, you have just a fraction of a second to catch their attention, right? right. So um, that's why I use like the lenses and the cameras that I use. And again, I get, that's why I want the 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 live stream quality to be like as high def as possible as well. And that's why I use this like cellular bonding bullshit um, just to make sure that the signal is is clear. But there are there have been a couple of technical issues, issues with, it, with it and I'm like, why am I paying for this service? And it doesn't even fucking work all the time. So I've been, I've been on the phone with, with their tech support lately being like, why am I paying you all this money a month if you can't even guarantee that I'm getting a bonded signal? So is, so do you um, have to have like two different plans with like Verizon yeah, and at you, Yeah, you, you have to have two plans and then you have to pay for the actual encoding service, right? So I bought the unit, the unit was whatever. Yeah. Um, but then you have to pay a monthly subscription to use the, the service, which will recombine the signal, um, and that also includes the, the 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 two cellular modem plans as well. But it's it's when it works, it's great, and when it doesn't work, it's fucking frustrating because you're like, I'm right. paying all this money, and it doesn't right. fucking work. Oh man, um, have you got any pushback from people that are just like stick to music videos or oh yeah, all, like the time, all the time, all the time. Yeah, I, I get pushback from people all the time saying, like, stop with the political content, just stick to fucking music. And I'm like, the nah. logo of right. the fucking channel is a camera and a sickle, which I invent, like, I came up with that in high school. Like, yeah. if you don't think you're going to get political content, you're like, I, I think about how um, disconnected you must be and, like, what kind of mental gymnastics you must go through to, like, not right. have a basic understanding of the content that you're consuming. Right. Again, not everything that I post is political, but again, I'm trying to like lo- like draw people in with the live music coverage, right. but then hit them with a shotgun blast of just like, hey, I know you're expecting a video today of this band that I filmed, but like, here's a fucking protest that's happening right outside my window. Yeah. Like, this is a very important issue. But yeah, I do get the backlash and I, I used to take it personally, but mm. I'm of the mindset now, like, bring it. Like, you're, you're, you're engaged, like engagement is fuel, right? Yeah. Like I, I don't care if you don't like me right? because at the end of the day, you're, I, you're just keeping me relevant in the search engines and that's right. all I care about. I'm not here to make friends. Like it's, it's cool if people like, you know, if I make friends through what I do, but I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to just draw attention to like whatever it is I'm pointing my camera at. Right. And if I can, if I can siphon people's keystrokes and siphon their attention and get them to like complain about something again, that's just, it's all about converting this keystrokes to just engagement because right. the whole point of the platform is to just drive engagement because the more engagement you have, it reaches more people. And like, again, that's really all this is all about is like getting more people to watch a band, getting more people to like care about a topic that I'm covering. And yeah. I don't expect everyone to like immediately convert to a band or I don't expect everyone to immediately, immediately convert over to a topic I'm covering. But if I can reach 1%, 0.1% of my following, that's a good amount of traffic. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like I have, I have people coming up to me at shows saying like, Hey, I'm a teacher and I saw your protest coverage and I didn't know about that issue, but now I've created a curriculum to teach my students about that issue. So if I can get one teacher to do that, that fucking pays it forward. So 
Um, I, people think I, people think I get, take it personally, uh, if I get like backlash, but I'm at a mindset now I've been doing this for so long. They are, they really want me to stop doing it, but it, none of, none of what they've tried has actually worked to stop me from doing the work that I want to do. Yeah. So, so fuck them. I'm going to keep doing me. Yeah. It's a, that's, that's a little silly of those people. And it's like, it's not, this is like your, your baby. It's not like you're being funded by some, by like yeah, some Sor- higher power by George yeah. Soros. George Soros yeah. is not, he's George Soros is not funny. Uh, no, or, you know, or like live, live nation presents hate five, six or something like that, you know, where it's yeah, like, like that. yeah. Uh, uh, that's silly. Oh man. Um, well, is, is there, I was, I was trying to think earlier of, of some just interesting questions. Is, is there a live music event that has already happened? Like from, I don't know, from the seventies or eighties that you would have wanted to live stream that you can think of all the time. I mean like that, that bad brain set at CDs, the iconic video. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but at the same time, I'm of the mindset that certain things were just better if you were there. Right. And, had to be there. Um, you had to be there. And like, if, if there's an archival piece of footage, like that's all we get. Right. And that's, that's what makes it special. So part, part of me actually doesn't want to go back in time and uh, live stream certain things. Like one of my favorite bands is one of my favorite bands is inside out. Um, part of me, part of me hopes they never reunite. Cause I, I, I want that to be the band that like, only exists in my imagination and whatever few recordings are, are out there. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I would build a time machine to go back. And like, <laughs> there's definitely, there's definitely bands. I wish I could film in their prime. Yeah. Like I'd love to film like a, at the drive-in set in their prime or Fugazi in their Ooh, prime. But yeah. again, I also realized like the nature of this, of, of just music and just life in general is some things were just before your time and you got to just, Right. You got to deal with it and you got to, you have to create your own, you have to create your own shit, right? right. Like there's, there's going to be kids 20 years from now who are like, damn, you're the knife was the best band ever. They don't play anymore. But right. like, at least we have these videos, right? So it's all about living in the moment um, and trying to um, create or find the excitement that you kind of wish that you were present for in the past. Yeah. That's, uh, it's interesting. Um, I'm not I'm not into like jam bands or anything, but the way they like apparently like archiving shows and like Oh yeah, it's a whole thing. It's a, yeah, all some of my like friends who are into jam bands, they'll be like, I'm listening to fucking whatever, ninety five, you know, the the second set. And I'm just like, Jesus, that's very specific. Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm with that. I'm I'm that way with certain bands that yeah. like, I know which recordings like are from when, who recorded them, and like yeah, the very 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 nitty nitty very nitty gritty details. Mm. Um like that's how I got into like filming shit in general. Like I just grew up being obsessed with live recordings that yeah. way. Um and that kind of translates into how methodical I run the channel now. Like everything is tagged in a certain way. Like I'm very methodical with how I deliver the content and it right. all stems from being super obsessive with how things were archived back in the day yeah yeah that's cool because i don't i don't think for um for this the stuff you co- you cover there's never been anything like that before i don't think of somebody being like 
meticulously archival like that? I mean, there people definitely filmed before me. Right. Yeah, um, for sure. There were a couple sites. There was a fear out of DC P H E E R, which was run by uh, this guy, Pablo, who I'm friends with. Um, he was, this was pre YouTube. I think he had like a real player uh, for anyone who remembers real player that was on his website. It was just streaming his, his content. So he, he was way ahead of the curve. Yeah. Uh, there was him. There's a guy in Philly called, uh, his name was Mike. Uh, my, uh, his site was called Eat Tapes. E E A T. Eat Tapes. Um, okay. He was very methodical with how he logged stuff. So I definitely learned a lot of lessons by just looking at those guys and seeing how they were doing it. Um, especially now, like everything needs to be cataloged. Otherwise, it's just so hard to find shit. Right. Um, and that's why like, I'm constantly building tools to help people find their next favorite band, whether it's like, you know, a customized search engine on the site or building like a band recommendation app, which I have um, using some, some AI. Like I'm constantly building, like developing tools to help people find the next band that they, they that they're going to, they're going to fall in love with. So mm-hmm. for me, it's about, you know, um, finding the needles in the haystack as it were. Um, we're just like, we have all this shit, all the content just just floating around. How do you distill it into something that's going to, uh, pierce through the noise and actually resonate with someone. Yeah. Mm. Damn. Uh, we've been going for about 50 minutes here. Uh, um, yeah. Do you have any like closing words of wisdom or? I don't know. Um, <laughs> ah, gosh, I mean, I don't know if what, what's your, what's your listener base like? Are they technically inclined or? Uh, no, not really. I don't know. I mean, is there, is there, uh, I'm trying to, I feel like I've been talking a lot. Is there anything that, <laughs> well, uh, how could, how could somebody get into development work if, if they wanted to, like what, what, yeah. what did some, uh, steps people should take? I, so I pretty much all the, all the programming I do now is in Python on the back end. Mm-hmm. I do some, you know, front end JavaScript, uh, PHP, C, uh, HTML, things like that, things like that. But I always tell people, pick a language and just learn a language first and learn the basics of, you know, conditional statements, for loops, um, functions, like learn the actual concepts of computer science. And you can do that by, there's so many good YouTube YouTube tutorials now, or like Khan Academy. Like there's all these Mm -hmm. great resources for learning software development, or even just, you know, bootcamp if you, if you have the resources to do it. Um, but I'm of the mindset, um, stick with the language, learn the core concepts of development. And then once you learn how those things work, it's easier for you to move from a language, from one language to another. Right. Um, and I also tell people, pick a, pick a project, think of something that you want to work on. Like for me, um, after I finished college, I was, I was, this is 2008 and this is like during the, the, like the, the economic crisis, it was so hard to find a job. I had all this, I had all this time to kill. I was like, let me, you know, I'm, I've been filming a couple bands here and there. Like, let me build a website. Like I have some programming experience, but let me learn how to build a website. So hate five, six actually started out as just a fun project of like, can I build like a website? Yeah. PHP, which I had, ne- I never used PHP at that point. So I tell people like, think of something you want to build. Like, even if it's just a simple, like app that tracks, like your grocery shopping list or whatever, or whatever it is, like think of something that could solve a very basic problem mm-hmm. and then learn, like start chipping away at it. Think about like, I like to think of 
like I like to take a problem and deconstruct it into smaller parts that I know I can like that I could like you know tackle pretty easily so I think the longer that you program and work in development you're able to see a problem and think about how okay this component can actually be solved mm-hmm. like I can actually remove this this component and solve this first and then plug it back in and move on to the next thing so I think the longer you program you start to think like a program and start to like realize that you can decouple things and attack them piecemeal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I advise people like think of a problem that's not too complicated, but like might have a couple small moving parts and then just tackle each one independently. Like once you like can do that, you're able to like accomplish a lot. I mean, that, that's how I was able to do like the grip and like the, the, the aerial camera. It's like, I thought about each component like piecemeal and and went at went at it that way. So Damn. I advise people like, yeah, learn a language, learn the core concepts, and then just think of something that you want to solve. Because if you if if you're gonna work on something that you care about, you're you're gonna want to see it through. Like right. you're gonna have the the excitement, the energy, the passion to, to do it rather than some fucking assignment that a that a professor gives you. Um, which is useful. Like, don't get me wrong, acad- academia can be useful, but you can learn so much more through trial and error yeah. and just like doing it yourself. So that's kind of my advice. Mm, yeah, that's good. Uh, well, stay on for a second, Sonny. Um, you had options, but you decided to talk to me. I appreciate it. That's easy.